Welcome to the first ever Human Intimacy Podcast. I'm Dr. Kevin Skinner. I am so excited that you have chosen to join me and my special guest today. The Human Intimacy Podcast is designed to help individuals learn more about human relationships and how we can succeed in creating deep and lasting relationships. Today, my special guest, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm honored to introduce Mr. McKay Hatch. McKay is from a young boy, he's been an influencer. He started the No Cussing Club. Now you may think, what is that? It was so important that Jay Leno, Ryan Seacrest, Dr. Phil all invited him to be with him to introduce what his club was about. So today, I want to welcome McKay Hatch. Hello, McKay. Woohoo! How's it going? That was a good introduction, I feel. I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. I feel like a, I feel like a celebrity, so this is good. <laughs> in truth, if you look at your life, you've done a lot of things, but it's not just the things that you've done. You've been through a lot of adversity and challenges, and I really want our listening audience today to be able to learn more about your life and the journey that you've been through, because I think our listeners will really appreciate some of the challenges and adversity that you have been through and how you're choosing to take challenges and make life better for you and for others. So with that being said, McKay, tell us a little bit about you. So maybe something unique about you. It's something I've been thinking about more as I've gotten older. I feel like something unique about me, and I think it's part of the message that I try to share at assemblies and in other settings, is that I feel like I'm not afraid to be different and go against the norm. Now that I'm older now from when I started the club, I'm married now, been married for four years and have a couple kids. One of the main things you start thinking about more is, you know, that of a provider. And I feel like there's a really conventional way of going about making a living that sometimes I think brings a lot of stress for people of feeling like that's the only way to do it. But it's not to knock people that, that choose that route, but just the regular nine to five route. I feel like because of my upbringing and, and different things that I'll share today, I feel like all of us have a calling and a mission in life. And I think when we can take that leap of faith of trying to discover what that is, whether it's down the conventional route or not, I feel like that's where our greatest happiness and our greatest value that we can offer to society and the world is. And so I feel like that's something that's unique about me is being willing to go against the norm and pursuing what you feel like you're called to do in life. So what is it that drives you, McKay? You started this No Cussing Club. How old were you? I was 14 when I started the club. I'm now 30 years old and it went pretty haywire for four or five years. And then I was on a hiatus for a couple of years. And then I still get about five to 10 people every week that still take the no cussing challenge and stories of people that maybe just discovered it and heard about it and talk about how it's impacted their life. But yeah, so I guess with that, I guess what drives me is being willing to follow what you're called to do, even if it, and stand it up for, if there's something that you believe in, being willing to make decisions based off your values rather than what's convenient or what other people are doing. So language is important to you, not just the no cussing, but just how we use our language. Tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, I think when it comes to language first, nobody's perfect. I feel like when I started the No Cussing Club or sometimes when I talk about language and people know that I'm the founder of the club, I think sometimes there's a stiff feeling in the room where everyone feels like they need to be perfect or they're walking around eggshell. It's not the perfect club. When it comes to language, it's about first recognizing that your language is powerful and how it affects other people, yourself, and even the world, and then doing your best to get better and better at it. And so I, I think what makes language important is that it's how we create meaning and share meaning with one another. And so if the kind of meaning we want to share with each other is negative or we want distance between each other or we don't want understanding with each other, then the language that's associated with that will communicate that. And, and if we want a relationship of mutual understanding, of cooperation, of building, of uplifting, then your language will reflect that. And yeah. And and so here's a general question then. So language reflects how we see the world, how we communicate, what we say, what we don't say. Yeah. And there's something that you're, a message you're trying to get across that I think is really important. You started this as a young boy. Yeah. Like what drove you to do that? Share with our listening audience, maybe a little bit about the story of why you chose to do that at that young age. Yeah. I think it just, it started within my family. I grew up in Southern California is where I grew up. I'm one of seven siblings. And one of the things that my parents instilled in us was the importance of our words. Uh, and a big one that kind of is the catalyst for everything else that's, that I've thought about and have evolved into is starting with swearing and, and the language that we use with each other. And I also grew up in a really faith-based Christian home as well. And so that was something that was really important to me and my development and me caring about the words that we use. And so... I think just with that, instilling that value in me at a young age through my Christian beliefs and obviously my parents made me aware of that and how that's not something that we should do, that we should control our language. And then I think the biggest shock factor that drove me to do it, that's the foundation. I think it was when I, my transition from elementary to middle school. Because in elementary school, it wasn't as hard to live that value and see that value in practice. Meaning most people weren't really swearing all the time. I remember hearing it occasionally and just being like, okay, that was interesting. But my very first day of middle school, I came back having heard one words I don't think I had heard before, <laughs> but I heard the F word specifically over 50 times just my first day of middle school. And I remember coming back home and telling my parents about it, being like, oh my gosh, I went to school today and I heard the F word 50 times and I was just really shocked and blown by that because a lot of my friends that previously weren't swearing, they very quickly adopted that new habit of just starting to swear all the time. And their reason for doing it, as I observed them, seemed to be merely because the older kids were doing it. And to me, that didn't seem like a good enough reason to pick up a habit just because someone else was doing it. And, and so, yeah, that's a big driving force as to what got me to that point of uh, seeing that and then having ideas of how can I encourage my friends not to do that. And but before it got to the club, I had to go on my er own journey of, am I going to swear like everyone else is, or am I going to try and like, how can I live my values amidst all of this and how is that going to affect me socially and all those things. And my mother gave me good advice and she told me that I can either find new friends or challenge them or challenge the ones I currently have not to swear. 
And it took me two or three months to finally get enough courage to finally ask my friends that question. And when I finally did, I was shocked by the reply. And they said, yeah, no problem. We didn't even know that it bothered you. That's no, no problem. And so we won't do that around you. And so I finally found a good group of friends that were willing to align with my values. And then, then the eighth, then several, then two years later went by in the eighth grade. And my friends came back to me and they said, Hey, we noticed we not only stopped swearing around you, but we stopped swearing in general. It'd be funny if we started like a no cussing club or something. And what they hadn't realized is for since the sixth grade, I had been thinking of that idea, even though it was bizarre and weird as it was. And so when they said that, I felt like the stars aligned and it felt, just felt like a calling, like, okay, I think this is more than just a fun idea. I think I should actually do this. And so as we go down the time frame, so you start to know Cussing Club, what was the initial response? Yeah, I, everyone, there was lots of different emotions from people. I think some of it was just disbelief that someone would start a club called the No Cussing Club. I think some were really inspired and had a lot of respect for it. Wow, how cool, you know, that you would be willing to do that. And I think, especially at that age, and even now as I get older, I think it's always a thing. I think we all have, I think there's a part of us that to a big degree or littered degree, we worry about what other people think. And so I think doing that was interesting and I think sometimes hit a pressure point on people who cared so much about what other people thought. And they saw me doing something that was so against the grain that it freaked them out. But I think the response was both positive and negative. I thought it was just going to be something within my city. But as it, as the club progressed and got bigger, we went from just 50 members at our first meeting to after a couple of years into it and getting something called a cuss free week, which was a week to bring awareness to swearing. We got an official proclamation in our city in South Pasadena in California. And after we got that initial official proclamation, the news and media got a hold of it and wanted to do interviews. And it seemed like within that first year overnight, we went from just 50 to close to 10,000 members within just a couple months of it, of the news picking it up and it's starting to spread. What an experience for a boy your age. Yeah. Right? Just thinking about just the overwhelm. That's just, I mean, all of a sudden you're on Jay Leno and you're talking with Dr. Phil. That, that's a lot of pressure for a young man. What was that like? Oh, it was absolutely freaky. I, I couldn't have done, I feel like a lot of people say it and it's kind of a cliche to say, but I really couldn't have done it without the support of my dad, my mom, the family, then all my club members. My dad particularly was very helpful with coaching me for interviews help me figure out how I want to word things of why I started the club and stuff. But what gave me the courage to finally do the Tonight Show was each interview preceding that. Like my very first interview with my city newspaper, I remember being so nervous. In some ways, I was almost more nervous for that one than I was going on the Tonight Show or Dr. Phil. Because I think it was just my first time being interviewed. And so I was like, whoa. But yeah, I definitely, I felt pressure. But at the same time, I... Like looking back, it's crazy, but there was almost also just a calmness, I feel like, about me as I did those interviews and as I did the different things. And I just, I feel like there was something bigger that was supporting me and helping me through it all, which is also really fun to think about it and realize. Awesome. Let's now transition for a second. You've done assemblies, school assemblies, because it not only to go that direction, but also the opportunity to go into schools. Tell us about the school assemblies that you do. What's that like for you? Yeah. 
So the name of the assembly is the power of one assembly. I talk about to the story of the no cussing club, the power of our words and how one person can make a difference. I think what I love about giving the assemblies is it seems to fill these kids seem to resonate with, I think just the, the truthfulness of the message that they have greatness within them, that with the, with the words they choose, with the actions they decide to take, that they can, that they impact the world. My favorite assembly I think that I gave was at a school in Texas, and it was a school that was run by the state. And a lot of these kids didn't know who their parents were, or a lot of them weren't able to be with their parents because of the circumstances of the parents and decisions they had made. And I'll never forget at the end of the assembly, nearly all of those kids wouldn't stop giving me a hug. They would come over and hug me. They would take a couple steps back and they would just, they want another hug. And so I think the power of this assembly is that it really helps people feel special and like they, what they do matters. And that despite their circumstances, through their language and through their decisions, that they can make a better life for themselves and for others. Awesome. Now, I want to transition to one more time. You are also a talented musician. You've got your own album out. You've got music that you're just releasing. And I'd like to have you share some of that music with our listening audience today. In fact, it's going to be some of the intro music and the out music as we come in and out of the podcast over the next many podcasts that we're going to be creating. McKay, tell us a little bit about your music career. And if you wouldn't mind, share with us a little bit about that experience for you. Okay. Yeah. Music is something that I've always loved and resonated with me. It's something that another thing that I've always just felt really called to do. Because I think we can communicate with our words, but I think another powerful way to communicate to people and touch someone's heart is through music. And yeah, and so as far as making the decision to create an album and then do, I'm working on my second album right now, which is almost out, but I'll play a couple of those today, is it gives me the opportunity to take different experiences I've had and make sense of them and then put chords and different instrumentation around it so that it carries an even more powerful and potent message to people. And so one of those songs that I'll share with you is specifically about an experience I had with my mom. I don't know if this is the time to transition into that. Did I kind of answer your question, Dr. Skinner? Yeah. Again, this is a more of a delicate topic. If you don't mind sharing a little bit about your story, just from putting this life experience of language and understanding to meaning, because I think you, your music is very expressive of your emotions and your experience with life. Yeah. So uh, sure. If you want to give a little bit more background there, and then we'd love to have you sing a song for us. Okay. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So to continue on with my story. So I started this club and from 14 until I was about 20 is it really went wild and I was really involved in it for a lot. And then I took a two-year sort of hiatus serving for my church. And then when I got back, it was self-discovering me trying to figure out what I wanted to do from there with the club and other different things. And meanwhile, so this is now fast forwarding to January 2019. The beginning of that, that year was really like in hindsight, really tough for me just as a young single adult trying to figure out trying to just keep moving forward, trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I feel like 
when I was 14, that the idea of this club just seemed to line up so seamlessly in some ways. And the Tonight Show and Ryan Seacrest and speaking all over the nation and receiving thousands of emails from people and all that just seemed to, I feel like I did very little, but so much happened. And then it seemed after getting back from my serving for my church and getting back, it was like, all of a sudden I had to discover so many different parts of myself. And that's lots of other stories I can go to with mental health and other things that I've had to work on and overcome. But January, 2019, I decided to keep progressing and moving forward. And at that around February, March, I started dating a girl and we were starting to realize, okay, this might actually work instead of just the one date and be done, which I've done so much of, we were starting to have three or four or five or six dates. And so that was progressing really well, which was an exciting new adventure for me. And then in, it was March or April of that same year, I went down to visit my mother who was living in Arizona at the time. And I went up there and brought who was that, that same girl I was dating, who was my girlfriend now at the time. And she got to meet my mom. And while I was down there, my mom wasn't able to keep food down. And so every meal we had, she would go to the bathroom and just be thrown up. And I was like, what the heck? Something seems to be going on there. I asked my dad if she was going to see the doctor and they're like, yeah, we've already got some things lined up, but she should be fine. It's probably just a virus or something. And so got back home several months later. However, she finally got checked up on and we, you get that call that in your brain you think only happens to other people and their families. And the call was my dad and mom were both on the phone and they called us all individually and they asked if we were in a place where we could sit down and listen. After doing some scans on my mom, they found out that she had stage three stomach cancer. That was mind blowing at the time and still is honestly, it's still been three or four years since that has happened. Yeah. And so we got that news. I think that was now in June that we got that news. After we all heard it, we went back down and visited my mom and we all were there as a family and kind of talked about things that mattered most to us in life. And it was really hopeful that she'd be able to maybe get a surgery that could take out her stomach where all the cancer was localized and she could still survive and all those things. And there's a lot more detail I can go into, but so why this was happening with my mom, I was still progressing with my now wife and I was able to, you know, show my mom some of our engagement pictures. And then it was two days before my wife and I were going to get married. My dad called and said that the doctors had just called and it was the craziest thing ever. I remember my dad, I was still asleep in the morning. My dad woke me up and called and he said through, through his tears that the doctor said that my mom only had 24 hours to live. And that's, that's just what it was. And he was crying on the phone. And I remember as soon as he told me that my first reaction was to just punch the wall. And so I punched the wall and was just like, wow, that was crazy to hear that. And it's always hard to hear your dad cry on the phone. So we just tried to figure out what we were going to do. And one kind of cool miracle and series of events led to the next. We were able to fly all of us from Utah, where we were at the time, to Arizona, where my mom was. And we were able to get um, steadily married in front of her was the plan. And so we had my uncle who was able to perform the marriage. And so... We quickly flew that night 
to Prescott, Arizona. And then that morning we performed a civil ceremony and got married in front of my mom who was still there and still alive and conscious. And so, yeah, we ended up getting married in front of her with whatever family could come at my house. And then 20 minutes after I got married is when she passed away. I don't think we can get adequate emotions or express emotions that describe that type of an experience. Very rarely in life do we get that depth of loss while simultaneously marrying a person we love deeply. I look at that experience and I will always admire you and your family for that. And also the a recognition of the pain and the hurt that comes with it. You also have a song that was, that you, was it your words? Was it your dad's words that, that a poem that he wrote? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And so there's two different songs and I can, I could play either one, but one, one song that I had written was based off a poem that my dad wrote and he did that. It was when he got rushed off for an emergency. My mom got rushed off for an emergency surgery on her stomach to try to get it out. And that one is on YouTube and you can find that one's called One More Day. And then the other one is the one I'll play for you. Then this one's hard to play and to sing, but I know that this podcast and what this is all about is just relationships and deep connections, whether that's joy or a lot of hurt. And so I hope this song could be healing for anyone that's lost somebody or has felt what it feels like to have a relationship and that you always counted on. And so this one's called Shattered, and it's basically just my feelings of how it's felt having my mom gone. One of the big things I like about this song specifically and where it came from is that people, I think in life with relationships and with pain and stuff, for some reason, we're just built to be problem solvers and we want to just solve things like, oh, I'm sorry your mom passed, but you're going to see her again. I'm sorry your mom has passed, but hey, make sure you keep moving forward. Don't give up. And I think those things are good, but what I found that's most helpful has been most helpful for me that I didn't know until having someone pass is learning to sit with somebody in their pain and listen to them. And that, and you could do more to help somebody that's suffering by just being present with them. And it's really hard I've noticed to just be quiet and not say anything and be present with somebody that's just in pain and that just has gone through something hard. And, but that's what I found. And most of the time people like talking about it more than people realize, but just being quiet and sitting with someone in that has been useful. So this song is called Shatter. Shattered 
Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, very moving and very touching. So, McKay, w- w- your words going back to going clear back to No Cousin Club. The words to that very meaningful. Clearly, the way you speak, your words, the music, your lyrics, everything that goes with this. Tell us a little bit about the composing and just that story as you were writing it. That was one where I started writing it and. My, it was one of those where you write it and you almost feel, wow, this is so honest and truthful that I don't know if I ever want to, if I should ever show this to people. But what gave me the courage to do it is my sister had come over. I can't remember if I was just playing it or I told her I wanted to play it for her. But either way, after playing it for her, her eyes got teary eyed and she just said to me, like, that's exactly how I feel. Like, I, I love that song. To me, that's the kind of full circle or like the most rewarding moment, I think, as being a creator of music and of songs and sharing that is when someone else who's experienced that can connect, can identify with it and it provides healing and meaning and understanding for them in their own life. And so that was the beginning part of it is that the title is what really helped drive the whole message of the song that the word shatter, that's just such, that provokes such a crazy imagery in your mind of when something shattered, you think of a vase or a glass, like when you drop it and it shatters, like that one hole was now, it's now in tons of tiny pieces that even if you tried to put them back together, you couldn't perfectly bring it back to what it was before. And that's how I felt amidst, I know it's going to be better. And I know there's light at the end of the tunnel and I know you got to have hope and keep moving forward. But can I just agree with myself and be honest that but I still feel shattered. That's really the whole message is being willing just to feel it and be okay with you feel this way. Yes, there's all these things that can help and change, but you're shattered and that's what you need to voice. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense of just being authentic with what your those emotions are and just being as real as possible because it's that's exactly it. Speaking 
the word that you feel. Yeah. 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 Very powerful. So the transition over the last four years, that was 2019. So we're working on four or five, working almost five years. What's the transition just obviously without your mother, who was a great woman, that experience of how, yes, you got married. Now what's the next part of your story? I'm sure our listeners would like to hear. Now what, McKay? Now what is next? I, it's crazy having one person gone in your family and how much that affects things like just it's almost like the roles in our family have slightly shifted and just the feeling in the air the first couple of years it was hard to be around family Ugh. Ooh, just family period it didn't matter what family or who family was just family and i think the hardest thing is the thing that usually helps you get through your trials in your life that helps you get over your pain that's the source of your pain <laughs> right and so what do you do? It's like, how do you recover from that? And I still feel like it's a work in progress as to what that is and how that looks. I've, you've just, what I've had to do is try to find new ways to get what I got from my mom, which what I got from my mom was a lot of faith and I think just self-assurance and an abundance of emotional capacity that she had to help me emotionally in my life. And so Without that, it's been a lot of not knowing where to get that filled up, trying to see what that looks like. And, and so I think the biggest thing is just, I've been trying to be patient with myself and yeah, learn slowly how to rely more on my amazing wife and kids and her extended family. And while at the same time, just trying to figure it out, a lot of that has been just me being alone, trying to, in a way, be there for myself in my grief. And that's been an interesting thing and rely on God and my faith more and that sort of stuff. And so next steps for grief and that is what it's been. It hasn't really been like this amazing, I'm perfect at it and I resist it sometimes and it's difficult. But I think the hopeful part is just yesterday I was reading a book that I liked called Build the Life You Want. Oprah and Arthur C. Brooks recently wrote it. Within it, they one of the things they say that you need for a happy life is a faith and one of the cool things that a faith, having a faith could do is help you see really difficult trials as part of basically part of the plan and for a bigger reason. And that it didn't just happen and you had no control over it, but that happened so that you can become a different version of yourself and help the world and society in a way that you couldn't have otherwise done unless you had your faith, unless you had gone through that experience. And I think I'm starting to have those perceptions more and more of this is a blessing. This is part of the plan. And that gives me a lot of meaning and purpose out of it instead of the victimized questions of why me, which usually just make you feel more miserable. And, and so as you've been going through this grieving process, a, a continuous grieving process, and there's obviously ups and downs and you're trying to make meaning of the experience. You've continued on in your career. You've now got two children. Your music career continues. You train others to play the guitar. You're a teacher in guitar. You do assemblies. You've continued the No Cussing Club, just, just doing all of these things. Yeah. Tell us the music transition in particular, because some of your music is just, it's so much fun and energetic. What's it like as you transition that music and just the expression of self there? Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. It's so fun. Like being able to teach guitar, like guitar lessons, which is why I do full time. And then as well as 
pursue my own music, writing music, performing them at assemblies, uploading videos, putting on my own concerts. I think that has been a really fun experience to help me get through the grief, no doubt. And also just feel like I'm still living a calling, living something that I would, I could do all the time and never stop doing it because, and I can just never get enough of it. And so I think what's most enjoyable about that is, is just finding the time to do it. I've always had that desire to do it. And I think we all have that desire to do certain things in our life that we feel like is really authentically us and that we just would enjoy doing. Music has been fun that way to do that. And I'm just about to finish my second album. It'll be a 10 track album and it includes songs like the one I just played. So Shattered, the one that I was talking about with my dad and that was written based off a poem is uploaded in. Um, so it's, it has the whole array of emotions of what I've been through. And, and then there's also one that's more fun and happy. It's called Hey There, Kate. So is this a time where we get to hear Hey There, Kate? Yeah, if this is the time, I'm ready. Okay, we'd love to, we'd love to, we'd love to hear it. Hey there, Kate, as a going? There's something I gotta say. I don't know why this is so hot. But I'm gonna say it anyway. There's something about you that I can't help but smile.
shit as it Okay, okay. Great song. Lots of fun. Thank you so much for sharing that fun song with us. Now, we've got your past. We've got your background. We understand some of the challenges that you have been through, the adversity. And now I'm going to ask you two questions. These are questions that I want to ask all of my guests. If you could give the world advice on how to develop healthy relationships, what would you want the world to know? There's one word that comes to my mind, and you could take it or leave it for how it might help you. But the word for me is intention. Intention or intentional. I think in order to build relationships, you have to be intentional and devoting time, talents, and effort in trying to reach out. And so that's what I would say, the short answer. If you'd want me to elaborate more, I would say it would be that. I think that I'll leave it at that, actually. Intentional about this connection and what we're doing. Yeah. And just about your relationships in general. Yeah. All right. And so the, what is the best relationship advice you have ever received? Be the person you want the other person to be. Yeah. If you want them to be open with you and if you want them to support you in your goals, if you want them to be vulnerable with you, you have to be that person. And then as you become that person, that person feels comfortable being that and then you end up receiving it. Yes. Thank you so much, McKay. It has absolutely been delightful talking with you today. I'm sure our listening audience will find your story inspiring, challenging, and also just something that they can understand. McKay, how can they get information about your new album coming out and your music? Beautiful. They can go to my website, mckayhatchmusic.com. Um, and the best thing they, that they could do is I can send them the link for my single, Hey There, Kate, that I just gave by them filling out my little email list. And so it'll send them that link. And then as soon as my album comes out, everyone that's on that email list will be the first to know about it and be able to listen. Thank you so much, McKay, for your time today. Absolutely been delightful spending this time with you. So thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you for having me on your podcast, Dr. Skinner. Thank you. All right. I want to thank McKay Hatch again for joining me, sharing his music, his talent, his life story, and his challenges. Grateful for him for taking the time. Now to you, the listener, uh, I invite you to join me. Make sure that you uh, download our podcast, share it with your friends and family. If you have questions, the Human Intimacy Podcast is designed to answer questions. So if you have specific questions you would like us to address, please email them to questions at humanintimacy.com. Thank you again for joining us. 